0: Uh, Nate and I have taken a couple weeks off for the holiday season. I'd like to say that it was a planned thing, but it wasn't. We just couldn't get our shit together. But uh, we're back
1: as as usual,
0: as usual. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're, it's, you know, the busier we get, the more challenging it is to get time off together. So uh, no time for this week, but we'll have him back on next week. And uh, so this is just sort of a little fly by night one. Nate, Nate and I, of course, have done the standard amount of planning. Uh, that is to say, we talked for a minute and a half. And about a minute of that minute and a half was talking about Macho Man Randy Savage instead of the task at hand. You know, it's we, all true. Yeah, <laughs> but during the thirty seconds of our minute and a half, uh, and he planning,
1: he is all Macho Man. That is oh, man,
0: the Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> all of it is man. Uh, but yeah, that that dominated our planning session. So the only, like we did, but during the thirty seconds of actual planning. During our 30-second planning period that we actually devoted to planning, I let to you know that I had an interesting restaurant experience this week, and I wanted to talk about it because it raised some interesting issues about how restaurants are run. And that is, Nate, uh, I checked out Jackrabbit Philly. Have you heard of that place?
1: Oh yeah, I've been wanting to go there. I've been to his. I've been to a few of his pop-ups, and I. How I want to you? say I had something from his food truck, but not. I haven't been to his brick-and-mortar spot yet. What's the guy's name? shwai shwai and Corey. Yeah, that's his wife, Corey.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I never met them. Uh, honestly, I didn't know that much about the pop ups. I've been kind of living under a rock for the last year and a half.
1: Oh, but, this, yeah, this was a while ago. This was way before he opened his restaurant.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Schwein and Corey Wang, they did some pop ups. They did a food truck, I think, was it? Yeah. Was it?
1: They had their food truck, Short Green, was around for a while. And then they did some pop ups. And now
0: they've got a brick and mortar restaurant. And I've been hearing really good things. And I checked it out for the first time. And, uh, first off, uh, I got nothing bad to say about the food. Uh, really, really fun stuff. Uh, they served, uh, like, a, they have a fish tartare of the day. It was, I think, yellowfin tuna when I went. And I tell you what, it was the most mayonnaised out fish tartare I have ever had, but I am not complaining at all. <laughs> it, it slept. It was awesome. I could have eaten a pound of it, even though that would probably involve eating five ounces of mayonnaise. Uh, it was just, like, finely minced fish and kewpie and kewpie and then like sweet pickles and tempura crispies over the top uh with uh, like some uh, i love Tem- herb leaves or crispies. so it had it had a great blend of flavors it had a great blend of textures it was really really a nice dish uh and then just a they put some american twists on things so like they served instead of like rice crackers uh they served uh, just old school garlic bread Is is the kind of garlic bread that you get at like an old school italian restaurant italian american restaurant you know what i mean like rosebud or, yeah. or or Rayo's. you know, it was the kind of garlic that you, gar, garlic bread that you get someplace like that, and uh, yeah, it was it was it was a really cool dish. Uh, or they did another thing they did a Sichuan dry pot, so it was like a hot pot, but like a like a dry fry. So it was just like a mixture of vegetables, including really like acorn squash, uh, mm. like onions, all different stuff, tossed in a really strong Sichuan like fermented bean and sesame paste, and then like dry fried. But the cool thing was for an extra two bucks. They added in a bunch of little smoky sausages. So like it's, you know, like those little, uh, those little like, like Hickory Farms, little yeah, smokies. Yeah, the little Chinese sausages. No, no, these weren't, they, this wasn't Song. These were like little, like Lil Smokies, the brand name. Those little tiny. Oh, really? Babies. Yeah. And they were good. <laughs> you know, it was the nice. Food was, the food was, um, it was not nearly as traditional or serious as the food at, for instance, Xiao Bao Biscuit on the sliding scale where on one side you've got Xiao bao, and then on the other side, you've got something like pink belly. That's not really trying to be authentic at all. Uh, this is closer to the pink belly side of things. Um, yeah. Very
1: are, playful. Uh, oh, yeah. Playful.
0: Playful is exactly it. And like deliberately cross-cultural. Like it was definitely yeah. like these people are, I am I mean with a name like Shui Wang, I've got to assume he's of uh, Chinese ethnicity, uh, but definitely celebrating the combination of Chinese and American. And it sort of reminded me, of like what, uh, what I've seen, what, like where Hawaiians will eat stuff that's sort of Chinese or Japanese like, but very with full on American touches, you know, like the, how the Hawaiians will make like a really nice pork stir fry and then crack an egg, fry the egg on top and then cover it with ketchup. Yep. It was, a it was that kind of thing. Like, you know, traditional Asian food with a big nod to American identity. I really like okay. the food. Uh,
1: now yeah, I heard it's delicious. I haven't been, I've been wanting to go. Uh, spicy fried
0: chicken, uh, the Szechuan dumplings. They got two dumplings. Uh, specifically, the Szechuan dumplings were really, really, really nice. Uh, but I've, I've found there's a lot to like about the food there. Uh, but the thing that I found was interesting was about the style of service, the flow of the kitchen. Okay. Because we were the first people there. We got there at five. Uh, and the place was not jumping, but it, it they had a five o'clock rush. Like There were people waiting outside to come in.
1: Uh, really? Yeah. Nice.
0: A, I would say six or seven parties waiting. And in. this
1: was a weeknight.
0: Um, yeah. Uh, nice. It was good a, for them. Yeah. It was there were like six or seven parties waiting outside to get in. Um, and you know, so it was, it was a Wednesday, I think, or maybe it was Tuesday. I can't quite remember, but, um, there were a lot of people waiting to sit. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, it was an impressive little front push. So the way the food came out made me think about the way restaurants are run sometimes, because I've seen this happen before. Uh, the server, and maybe maybe I misunderstood, and maybe she misspoke, but our server kind of said, okay, what we'll do is we'll get your whole order in, and then things are just going to come out as they come out. And I'm like, that's cool. There wasn't really an opportunity to, like, from the way she said it, it, it didn't sound like she was leaving really the opportunity to order as you go. And she said a full meal here is about five plates. And I was like, that's great. I love it when, I love it when they give you that information, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. And five plates was, five plates was pushing too much food, but I, I'm never going to fade the hustle. I, I you know, I, yeah, would have yeah. my, I would have my service do the exact same thing. Um, but the issue was that the food started coming out and then just came out just ass over tits fast, like incredibly fast. Like we were like scarfing courses to try to get them down before the next one came out. And like, there's. I get that we were the first first ones in, and I get what it's like to be in a kitchen and you see a ticket come in and you're just like, make ticket go away. The ticket is the enemy until the ticket is gone. Uh, there is, a, you know, the ticket must be destroyed. But I thought that you know they could have. This is by no means limited to Jackrabbit Philly. This has happened to me a lot of places. It just it, felt it, a little rushed. It got me thinking, and the thing is, that I don't think there was a deliberate rush. It was just how it felt. And we were outside, so, like, uh, it was kind of chilly out, but in the, that's the reality of the pandemic. I, I eat outside because my wife's immunocompromised. You know, to compromise. So getting the food down while it was still warm was kind of a challenge um, when you had, like, four plates in front of you. And then also, it all started. it just started to feel kind of overwhelming. We were done in 35 minutes and, uh, like, dinner for two. we got a bottle of wine, and we were still on our first glass when the last course was out. And so I guess what I'm, what my thought was, I think we're guilty, a lot of us in this industry of focusing so much on speed and so much on just ticket clearance, ticket times. And I don't think they were trying to flip. It's not like they had a line. So it wasn't like they were rushing us to get out to get the next person in. I didn't get that vibe at all. I just got the the vibe that the, the restaurant was so focused on speed that they sort of like, like they could have done a little more care with with the way things were paced, I'm, so I got I got a question like, is that realistic? Is that is that a reasonable expectation? I mean, it
1: depends. It really depends. There's so many variables to like, really comb through. It's like, you know, there's really two types of diners. Um, You know, there's people who go out to get full and there's people who go out for an experience. And if you're looking for an experience, you might feel rushed, but maybe a lot of their clientele just wants to get in and out, get a bite to eat and get back to work. I don't know. You know, it's like, I'm not really familiar all that much with, with the restaurant itself. Well, it's but not, yeah, I can this, see, this I can see season. how you would feel that way though, too.
0: Yeah. This isn't specific to the restaurant. It just made me think. And D and I yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Because whatever Dean and I are at a restaurant um, and guys, if, it's Jack Rabbit Philly, if you're, if you're listening, um, I, I mean, no disrespect. I had a good experience. This was just one aspect of it that got me thinking. Um, and I mean, I had a similar experience at Indaco. We had the exact same thing happen. But the weird thing about that is that we ordered like a couple of first courses and a pizza and a pasta and an entree. And the server said, how do you want it? And maybe it's because I come from fine dining, but we just said, however it comes is fine. And what what I meant by that was just, you know, whatever. I'm not gonna bust your balls. Just, you know, have some food come out and then have some more food come out, I'm cool with it. But the way it came out was everything all together. And I was like, oh, that's not really what I meant. <laughs> like, right. so we're like eating p- pasta and then eating pasta Bite a pizza and then have a little bit of our first course. And I was like, that was, that I think was a silly experience. I think that was a miscommunication between the kitchen and the table. And the thing is, what it really comes down to is service communication. Because like, I know with some POS systems, it's really hard for the kitchen to even tell how many people are at a table. So if you see five things come in and your servers don't do course lines, then you don't know whether you're cooking one thing each for five people or five things for two people,
1: you know, like, right, a lot of that is on the server, too. It's like, you know, most people don't know what they want, they know what they've had. And they don't know how to best experience if it's a first time there, you know, like, if someone like you come in, who's an experienced diner, and is cool, like, yeah, whatever, whatever's clever, you know, like, it may be okay, but sometimes the server needs to protect people from themselves and be like, no, you really don't want to have, you know, two bowls of rigatoni and your margarita coming out at the same time. Yeah. Let me course that out for you.
0: Yeah. Uh, and so I, it's like, once again, had a good experience with Jackrabbit Philly. Uh, this just got me thinking because this is something that we, that's come up in the past. Um, where I work now is a tapas place. Uh, and Sometimes I'll get diners that order eight things, and because I, because I am who I am, I'll put them in at a few at a time. I'll put them in and hold them, you know, or like uh, just try to put them in a couple of salvos just so they're not overwhelmed. But I find that a lot of the other servers, even people who have been there for a while, just don't think about that. Like they just think, okay, this is what's got to happen. I've seen it happen where like a table for two sits down at a two top. And these are people that I work with, like people that are competent, people that I trust completely. You know that are, they're they're good yeah. workers, but they, they'll they'll still order eight tapas for a table of two that's sitting together. And the thing is, at a tapas kitchen, you don't go take it by ticket. That's not how it works at all. You'd, no, you'd be, the, you'd be there all night. You send things out as they're ready, so it's really impossible for the kitchen to manage the service at that point. So because everything's order fire, mm. it's easier for for the server to just put things in. as
1: as they go. But I, am I, what I find is that a lot of servers don't think about that. So, no. So I think like back to your point, like, you're starting off a dinner rush and you're in the kitchen and you have the mentality of make tickets go away. I think the servers have the same kind of mentality sometimes when they're busy is like make these orders go away, make them someone else's problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I'm not saying this, like, it's an isolated thing. No, saying, it happens all the time. Like we, <laughs> it happens we, everywhere. We, we all do it. And I th- I just thought it'd be a good thing to talk about. like Because uh, you and I both come from the world of fine dining. And in the world of fine dining, you have seat numbers and courses. You tend to do stuff multi-course. So the systems tends to be in place to really handle this. And I guess yeah. what I'm seeing is that at, at, at slightly more casual restaurants, no one thinks about it, or at least not enough people think about it. And I think that's something that we as an industry could focus on being a little more reactive at. Like, I mean, I'm not in a position of being a manager or a trainer right now, and I'm fine with that. My first non management job in like 13 years, and I got to tell you, it's going okay. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hear uh, that. I uh, mean, you're in that boat too, obviously. Uh, Nate and I are, for once, not not chiefs. Uh, it's it's not a bad thing, it's not a bad feeling. But, um,
1: no. <laughs>
0: but the thing is, if I were, like, I, I don't, you know, once, once you learn how to be a manager, once you learn how to be a chef, you never stop thinking like one. And right. so I guess I think, like, this is something that I think, uh, you know, every server should think about uh, when you're approaching a table. I mean, sometimes there's going to be intangibles beyond your control. Like the hostess could say, hey, you have three at table 32. I need that table back in an hour and a half. At that point, that changes the whole ballgame, you know? Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. But the thing is, usually if you need, if, 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 a ter- if a turn time is really, really tight, this, the person, the, the, the guest has probably already been informed of that. You know, like, I don't really have a table for you at this time, but we can squeeze you in, but I'm going to need the table back.
1: Well, right there, I think, is the key. It all boils down to communication. It's got to be communicated from the hostess. It's got to be communication with the server to the guest, guest to server, server to kitchen, server to expo, expo to server. You know, it's all communication. And it reminds me of a great quote. It's like, if you think you're communicating too much, it's probably just enough.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, and the thing is, I've I've driven people crazy in places where I work because of my penchant for over communication like i like expediting but one of the reasons i like expediting is because if you can you can look at a ticket board and have a pretty good picture of everything that's going on in the restaurant right like uh you know you could tell which 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 servers getting hit extra hard you know you can tell you can tell a lot uh you can tell even more than if you're standing at the host stand looking at the host computer
1: Like, yeah that's say, the probably the most information in the entire restaurant is on that board right there and what it comes down to is
0: just like every other time uh, like managing anything is managing information.
1: Managing information, but information is not knowledge. You need the knowledge to know how to manage that information, you know, and it takes communication and training and, you know, a lot of that's getting pushed aside, unfortunately.
0: And so like, for instance, just to, I want to reemphasize that I'm not complaining about Jackrabbit. Philly just made me think about something that happened a lot. Uh, Yeah. When I go back to Jackrabbit Philly, I might just talk to my server and be like, last time everything came out really, really quick, is there any way we could kind of put this in in two salvos? And I'm sure the answer is going to be sure, because when the guest guest tells you what they need, it's so much easier. Like, I, I, when I'm in a position of serving, absolutely love it when the guests are high maintenance, because I'm like, yes, you're telling me exactly what I need to do. Like, that's perfect.
1: Yeah, it takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. Right. Uh, More often than not, it's better for the server to guess and then just assume something, you know, it's like protect, you know, another layer of protection, another layer of, you know, filter filtration, if you will, from like, oh, they don't want to do that, Uh, you know.
0: Yeah, I I think that the server, part of the science of being a really good server, which takes years to become a really good server, but part of the science Mm -hmm. of being a really good server is just getting a kind of intuition. About what kind yes. of, night of guest, uh, what kind of night a guest wants to have, um, you know, like I had someone in last night at the bar that was on the fifteenth wedding anniversary, and so I knew right then that you know they spacing their food out a little bit was going to be a good thing. They wanted to sit and have drinks and kind of relax, uh, and they ended up being a great table. They ended up having a really great time. They had a great conversation, and they, they, they you know. There's other people that you know. If if I just look at somebody, it's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna have a quick drink and a couple bites. That 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 tells me that tells me stuff too. Like you can you can manage a lot of guest expectations when the guest gives you a little bit to go on. So I think in this case, maybe servers need to be a little more intuitive, or at least a little more focus focus on being intuitive. But at the same time, diners should probably be clear about what kind of night they're having. You know, that, like if, if, if you have, if you're planning like a long, slow celebration, you can, there's little things you can do. You can just say something like, we're in no hurry.
1: And Exactly. Just little cues like that can tell a good server a lot. And, it, and then an inexperienced server should, you know, be a little more inquisitive. Like, oh, why did they say that? You know, like little yeah, cues like that. Like, exactly. So I guess what I'm saying is that this is something that everybody can do better at. <laughs>
0: like, oh, from, absolutely. Like oh, from, absolutely. The, from the servers to the management, to the cooks, to the diner. If, just being on the same page as everyone is such an important part of restaurant science. But like, so yeah, like I said, not going to stop me from going back to Jack Rabbit, Philly whatsoever. The next time I met him, I'm just going to say, hey, we slow it down a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, I've communicated and uh, they know what I need. And uh, then I'll get, I'm definitely going to get at least one, if not two of those tuna tartars with the crazy amount of mayonnaise in it because it was just delicious. Like, (laughs) Dee and I had a situation at, we were at Emerald's in New Orleans and we This is, this is something where I won't go back. Like I won't go to any of the restaurants that are owned by this chain anymore because of the way we're treated at this one.
1: I won't go back to Emerald's because they put Parmesan on their fried calamari.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I know you're not going to see the story that I'm going to tell you is worse than that, (laughs) but that's because you're a crazy. That's a
1: true story. I went in there. I was staying at the hotel. It was in the hotel lobby. I was like, ah, go fried calamari i hadn't had that in ages
0: just get a beer and a fried calamari sounds like a good little snack it comes if it's showered in parm and you got all mad
1: and i was like ah
0: really <laughs> i mean and for, for those of you following along at home nate hates the combination of fish and cheese so <laughs> i mean i think it's honestly i don't hate it as much as nate does usually my issue with fish and cheese is it's just kind of lazy like it's so lazy there's so many better things Like if you see, you know, like a if somebody's got like a pasta alfredo and they think how can I upcharge for this? Oh, throw some chicken breast or some shrimp on it. It's just it's a tacky little upcharge. I know chicken breast isn't fish, but i I digressed. Um, (laughs) Or like in New Orleans, fish and cheese was such a popular combination.
1: Like yeah, I know that's their thing.
0: At Clancy's, which was actually kind of a good restaurant in New Orleans, they thinly sliced brie and then broiled it over their fried oysters and then dusted them with paprika. And I tell you what, man, they weren't terrible, but like. Or, you, you know, take like,
1: that back right now
0: <laughs> i hadn't met you man but uh you know nate's thinking about fish have we told the story about the time that a uh, tk uh, made you that piece of uh like, i think so it was the, like some the tartar, sort of tar-tar with a the hidden chunk of blue cheese and in it you got, like, a, put like a walnut-sized piece of gorgonzola inside the spoon bite and tricked you into eating it yeah yeah we did that was uh yeah. that was pretty special
1: uh <laughs> yeah, well he got me good with that I can only
0: imagine your face. I wasn't there. I just heard about it.
1: You don't Um, refuse anything from Super King when he gives it to you to eat. You gotta try this, dude. And he's he's usually right, but sometimes he's messing with you.
0: (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like, if I'm having a Vongola pizza at uh, at Two Amy's and there's a little dusting of Parm on it, that doesn't bug me, man. Like, it's there's. uh, But anyway, we're getting way off topic, but that's fine. Um, at Emerald's, it was D and I's wedding anniversary, and we used to go out, like go out big, go out baller on our wedding anniversary. And we actually stopped doing it because of this experience. Uh, we went out and we got a nice bottle of champagne. I can't remember what it was. It was some grower. It was like a two hundred and fifty dollar bottle. Maybe it was more like a three hundred twenty five dollar bottle. Like we don't ball out at restaurants like that. But it was, it was a big day for us. You know, we'd only been married a couple of years, and you know, we hadn't. We're making. Terrible money. uh We're broke and tired, and we really saved up some cash. We decided we're going to go to Emeralds and do it right. and nice. we have been, been to Emeralds Del Monaco previously and had a really good experience. That's a I heard house. that was a good place. That uh, that was that was a great experience. It was a great night. Um. Uh. But then, you know, so we were like, okay, we know Emeralds restaurants are good. That was a great night. Let's go and let's go and really splash out. Let's do this. Let's do this big baller style. So we had. $300 bottle of champagne, that sends a signal. You know, if two people are out and they get a serious bottle to start, then it's probably a big night for them. But especially if they don't look like they make much money. You know what I mean? Like, little, there's little things that you can look for. Like, is somebody's suit tailored? You know, like, and these, are, these are legit service tricks that servers and sommeliers do to find out what kind of bottle they should be recommending to people. You got to think like this. So if somebody, like, is this guy wearing designer clothes? You know, or her jeans, Dolce & Gabbana? Are her shoes some fancy ass brand that they talk about on sex in the city like a server especially a server in a kind of a cosmopolitan city will size a guest right up and, and oh and
1: yeah did they valet or did they take a cabin or exactly. all kinds of stuff exactly you got a car in a big city yeah <laughs> oh, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be you're gonna offer you up the amarone or something you know exactly exactly <laughs> And so but I'm saying this was
0: the opposite I was I was an eight dollar an hour pastry cook at the time going All to school right. and D was like a, a low level server at a, at a local bistro. And so we dressed like we made the money that we made. So if somebody comes in and they really don't look like they make much money and they splash out, you can assume it's a big night. We ordered three courses, a couple of apps, uh, then a couple of mids, um, the middle courses, uh, I got a house made sausage. I don't remember what she got, uh, some seafood apps to go with the champagne. And then a middle course to like finish out the bottle of champagne. And then we had like a bottle of red behind the bottle of champagne.
1: Here's and my we... bottle of champagne. What do you got? It's actually uh, carbonated water. But... Oh,
0: <laughs> you pussy. <laughs> uh, I'm drinking. Uh, I know. I don't I'm... drink much anymore. I really don't. I'm drinking dogfish head, slightly mighty locale IPA. And it isn't very good. I got it as an experiment. I was like, dogfish head makes really good beer. I'll try their light beer. It's not bad, but I'm never ever buying a six pack of it again.
1: <laughs> I buy thirty packs of Kirkland carbonated uh, water for I, seven dollars, and I've, I drink I them love... like
0: they're going out of style. Oh my god, I drink so much club soda. I drink so much club mm-hmm. soda that my wife got a Soda Stream uh, because mm-hmm. I was I was creating like an ecological disaster by the number of cans of club soda that I would go through. Uh,
1: there just I just... might need to look into getting one of those. I, I drink I drink these. I drink at least six a night. Easily. Yeah,
0: yeah, me too. But it's better out of a can, isn't it?
1: It's so crisp. It
0: don't, the don't, carbonation
1: don't. it stays in better. Oh, don't yeah. give in.
0: I didn't want to switch to the uh, SodaStream. It's not. I that. heard they're it's,
1: expensive to recharge the, the carbonate, the CO two. I couldn't tell you. I, I didn't pay attention
0: to it. The whole thing kind of annoyed me. But she's like, "Look, we're doing this," and I was like, "Yes, <laughs> chef, yep. my, yes, chef." Yes, man. <laughs> yes, man. <laughs> but like, so we had our, we had our first courses and we had our middle courses, and our middle courses took a weirdly long time. Uh so you know, just odd pacing. Now I'm not complaining about that, but then they got our middle courses to us, and like then they we still had full glasses of champagne to have at the middle courses, and they got the bottle of red open and they rushed through our middle courses and then brought out our mains. And we got That's uh, lame. I don't remember what I got, she got a steak. What happened that really upset us is we have this bottle of high-end grower champagne, and we basically chugged our last glass. So that we could get into the red while our steaks were there, because you don't want to follow a yeah. dry. Uh, the, the red was like a Gigal Cote so it was a big bold red, and we didn't big wanna, boy. We didn't want to follow, uh, you know, we would not go back to our delicate champagne after having this big steakhouse wine. Um, and the Gigals, it wasn't as expensive as the champagne, but it wasn't cheap. Like our our shim, our booze bill for the night was probably four hundred bucks, and uh, and just note to everyone out there, I never live like that.
1: like yeah that's a lot of money it
0: was it was it was a big (laughs) night it was a big night for us and we just decided to splash out yeah and it didn't pay off so what really upset us is we're chugging our champagne to get into the um to get into the steaks d cuts into her steak and it's like medium well but it's a very specific kind of medium well where the top like the service side was totally grayed out and it had like a little bit of medium near the other side so that uh, thing sat. Total so,
1: graded out on you?
0: So they left it under a heat lamp. This mm-hmm. is what happened. This is what happened. The server said to fire the table. They fired the mains instead of the yep. second courses. So that second courses took forever. And then they rushed they so they they rushed the second courses out while the mains were sitting under the heat lamp. And like it doesn't take a forensic scientist to figure out what happened. So that was You know, pacing is, pacing is vital and all the food was seasoned well and the wines were delicious and the food was all nice, except for the steak that was compromised by being left in a heat lamp too long. Yeah.
1: Now a third of your steak is overcooked.
0: That steak was probably 60 bucks. Yeah. And when, and when the third of your steak that's overcooked is the top third, like if there was a a side of it that was overcooked, then you'd still have a nice steak on the other side. But this was like, it was, it was an expensive entree, but it didn't just mess up the entree. It also messed up the, fir- the, second, the middle courses that we had to, like, eat super fast. And it messed up the nice, nice glass of champagne that we basically had to chug uh, as, like, the other plates were down. And so like, what I'm saying is, like, that even if you have mechanisms in place to course, you can still go very wrong. So, like, I was moderately frustrated at Jackrabbit Philly's just blazing speed. But I was incredibly furious at, uh, at Emerald's uh, sloppy handling. And also, you got to look—it's a deuce, and they're drinking two nice bottles. Maybe take a little care with their table. Maybe send over a manager to explain the situation. We wouldn't have minded. No. But instead, they tried to sweep it Again, under the rug. Again,
1: communication. And yeah. a little, yeah. a little more transparency. Yeah. A little more inquisition. You know, just being a little more upfront, and that goes both ways. Guests, everything.
0: And we didn't say anything. We, we, yeah. we just got out of there. But like I'm saying something I'm now. not
1: that guy either. I don't say anything. I just won't go back.
0: Yeah. And I was just like, and now I'm telling everybody else, you know, Emeralds, treat me crappy. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, I get, I get that it's harder in a tourist city too. But like also, if you've got people that are like ordering like they know what they're doing and they're getting nice bottles and they're dressed like crap, they're probably in the business, which means they're probably going to see through what's going on. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, (laughs) there's certain little like shady tricks that you could probably get away with if it wasn't people in the business, like kind of off topic, but there's this one place in Charleston that I will not name where a charcuterie plate came out one time that had duck Riette that was clearly Turkey leg. And this was like two weeks after Thanksgiving, I'm like, I know the difference between duck and turkey leg. They made turkey leg riette, but the same charcuterie plate had smoked salmon on it. Now, smoked salmon is controversial for a charcuterie plate anyway. You know what I mean? Unless it's, yeah. unless it's really got a lot yeah. of stuff. You know? Unless it's a really big spread, that's an odd addition. But this smoked salmon was like a six-ounce restaurant portion of salmon that had been hot smoked. So it didn't take an industry genius to figure out that they had just cut too many salmon portions and then not sold them. And threw them in the smoker. Uh, instead of losing them so it was uncured smoked old salmon I was like the the only thing that saved me from being mad is that I'd had a lot of good times at the restaurant so I just thought it was funny like this is a place I hung out at kind of a lot I was just like (laughs) oh I was just like oh my god guys come on I didn't complain. I went back. Like, I went back and just never ordered the charcuterie plate ever again. I was like, okay, if you're going to do that, I'm just not going to play. Uh, you know, but I'll, I'll still go in and just get some, you know, get some fries or a steak fried or some, you know, some shrimp. Like, it's, it's, it's a perfectly good average restaurant. But this one time, man, like, you were <laughs> a certain a dish that was so shitty. You were just like, that's hilarious.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're blurring the lines a little uh, too much there, buddy.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but you know, like like a lot of Charleston places, it had kind of a revolving door in the kitchen. So I didn't even know who was back there. It was, you know, was yeah. like one, oh, of yeah. where, like, one of the places where, one of the places, and I, I get that it's, I'm not going to hold a restaurant responsible forever if they got bamboozled by some schmo that had no business being in a kitchen and he ended up working there for six months the, until they could replace him. You know, like I've seen it happen. Yeah, so.
1: he could have been there for <laughs> six weeks. Who knows?
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, it's, uh, yeah, that was, I got a long memory, man.
1: But yeah, the, but back to the Emeralds
0: thing, like, I thought that was a much bigger problem. But like, you have to control your pacing. It's a really important thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, like what you, we were talking about before, too, it's like, a lot of great guitar players, your analogy of that. But you know, it takes the band, man, you know, yeah. it takes the whole band, like, just because you can shred a guitar doesn't mean it's going to be a good, you know, good restaurant or a good band, you know, it's like, yeah. it takes everyone
0: it takes everyone. And like, the thing is, every position matters. Like, for instance, I'm perplexed at the number of restaurants
1: that consider hostess an entry level position. And that is one of the most critical control points of the entire restaurant, if not the most
0: a bad hostess can bring a restaurant to its knees fast.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And they're usually like 17 year old girls. And it's like,
0: what? Oh, there was a time at uh, there was a
1: time at the Woodlands where I lost my mind
0: because the hostess sat like thirty five people at one time, and the rule was that when the hostess is done seating all the resos, she could leave.
1: So uh-huh. she just
0: so she just sat everyone. Uh, the hostess will remain nameless because I really think she was kind of funny, and she was also a kid and just hadn't been trained. But uh, yeah. it was just hilarious. So all of a sudden, we went from like zero to sixty, and the thing is that a super fine dining restaurant with a small crew there's no way to manage that there's no no way so the whole restaurant the whole restaurant just the kitchen just went down for no reason and i remember yelling out uh the kitchen dining room door i was like i need to see the hostess before she leaves and the manager came back and he said she left 20 minutes ago and i was just like oh god damn it so she didn't even get to see what (laughs) happened like she sat, she sat the wait, and then she bounced and i'm like the thing is when I say that I'm perplexed by the restaurants using the hostess as an entry level position, I'm including almost every restaurant I've ever worked at on that. Every list. restaurant <laughs> ever. And like when I was GMing, hostess was an entry level position for me. Like I, I, there's like usually the thing is hostesses don't make as much as servers. So as soon as a hostess realizes that, then they ask to train in as a server.
1: Mm-hmm. And so it's just so backwards.
0: And th- the thing is, the and hostess- that's how
1: it is everywhere. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, like why can't hostess, I mean, I think a hostess is actually a good role. Like there's been a lot of times where I was managing and I would work with the hostess and be like me and the hostess on the host stand. And I would manage who got set and just use her as a runner. And then right. when you're doing that, then she can seat someone and then walk the dining room and clear away anything that's bustable, drop those off in the dish pit and come back to seat the next person. Like, right. so you have, it's almost like having an extra food runner on hand, right? But what I'm baffled by is hostess. like a bar
1: back almost.
0: Yeah. Just a, a like all around gopher. Yep. If you train a host as well, then you can get that, but I don't under, and it's interesting that I keep on saying hostess male hosts are absolutely a thing. It's just such a female dominated role for whatever reason. Um, or at least, at least it has been most of the places that I've worked at.
1: Same, same here.
0: And, um, but yeah, I, I just, I wonder, like, and the thing is, hostesses, man, I'm not ragging them. They take a lot of shit. That is a hard job.
1: They do. It is hard.
0: Especially younger hostesses, especially younger female hostesses really get pushed around by mean old people all the time. And so I I got nothing but empathy for hostesses. They're hired to do a difficult job with very big implications on the business. They're given very minimal training. They don't make much money, and people treat them like crap. They're the person that has to be there to tell people no. Being a hostess is telling people no a lot of the time. And so I, it just, it, it baffles me. It's such an important role. And the thing is uh, a really well-trained hostess is an incredibly good tool for what we're talking about, you know, like get, yep. managing that yield, getting it so that the guests are all on the same page as the kitchen.
1: Uh, Reading the people like, Hey, table 22, you know, whatever. They're here on a 15th anniversary. Yeah. It might be the, be in the industry.
0: Yeah. Or like, I mean, you know, you, you get the right kind of table. It's just every table is different. Every table has different expectations. Mm-hmm. And I've got to admit, at Jackrabbit Philly, I, I, I was guilty of not communicating my expectation. It was just a straight-up miscommunication. Uh, so I didn't do them any favors. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I think in that case, the, the clue that was missed is when Dee and I got a bottle. A bottle of wine for two people takes some time to drink. So I feel like that, that was where I would have said, let's slow some of this down but like if you don't do coursing and you ask to get the whole ticket ordered in at once you're you're just going to have log jams it's a uh, you know, it's, it's just an interesting experience it's, it really got me thinking about how just how restaurants work in general and how important all this stuff is
1: no doubt man takes it takes the village
0: and you know one interesting solution a place that i think actually handled it well was 492 where we both used to work mhm and like initially the the rule as enforced by the, the 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 service style was have all of the plates come out at the same time i was like okay like and they i was like guys the food here a lot of people snack and share and so i instituted when i stepped up to general manager i saw this as a persistent problem and i was like guys i, I got an idea let's just start asking people if they want it to come out as the dishes are complete or if they want it all together and the thing is because you know, putting food out altogether, that's a much more complicated process for the kitchen. You'll have longer waits because occasionally you'll have a table up that's holding on one thing. Nobody can go into the next ticket because you're waiting for that last plate. And what we discovered, and I think this worked out really well, uh, what we discovered was that if you ask diners which kind of experience they have, a lot of them will be like, oh, however it comes. And then all of a sudden they've got an expectation that they're not gonna get bombarded and now you know that you can just fire the dishes out quickly and move through tickets faster. And then the, the 40 to 50% of them that say we want it all together, that's fine. All of a sudden, that's, less than, that's half your diners. Whereas it used to be every table had to go all together. Now it's only uh, half the tables. So it really sped things along for the kitchen. But it also really, I think, made things a little less rushed for the diners. And it was such a simple solution.
1: Well, I wish you were around when I was there, you dick.
0: and and the thing is that 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 could took me some time to figure out where i learned that was social because people would come into social and want like a full four course wine tasting experience or they'd come in and just want a couple of drinks and a pie so we were that restaurant was a lot of different things to a lot of different people you could go in there and have chips and drinks or you could go in there and have pizza with your friends. or You could go in there and have a really serious fine dining experience. It was just all in how you ordered. And so we would ask people, you know, how do you want it to come? Do you want entrees out together, or do you want a tapas style? And we found that the vast majority. Once once we switched to doing that, it really it really clarified things. Four ninety two was a little more, you know, shishy. The food was definitely better executed because I wasn't the chef. You and Josh were, and you both, you know, more talented than me.
1: Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't but, know uh, about that. <laughs> Not nah, tr-
0: nah, trust me. Uh, <laughs> I applied that same philosophy, and I thought it was like the only cool thing I did as a manager it was just that one little that one little switch. I just think it's um, I think it's a good idea. Like, talk to your diners, find out what kind of experience they want to have. It takes two seconds. There's nothing wrong with it. You're never gonna offend someone by trying harder to give them what they want.
1: You know? No. Just and, you know, a little bit goes a long way, man. Yeah. I think what it really comes down to is that like in every
0: profession, just having a better understanding of what you're doing, it just comes with time and comes with experience. But like, if I was, if I was, if I was doing a seminar, if I went back to my restaurant business school, university of New Orleans, let's go privateers. If I was going back and I was asked to give a guest speech on a topic, I would talk about this exact topic, like about, you know, how to figure out whether your diners are in a hurry, whether they want to pace it out, little, little intangible clues you can use. Uh, and I just think that it's, it's, it's just an enormously, enormously important uh, facet of the business that just doesn't get talked about enough. Truth to that. And you know what? Let's, let's put some blame on the cooks real quick. Us, the chefs. Uh, how often have you seen a place where, like, you have a rule? You know, a 15-minute ticket time is the, the red line. If it's over 15 minutes, the manager starts freaking out. Um, I ran afoul of that. Uh, right. At social at social because like sometimes, you know, if table got, if a table had six people and they got like 12 things, then, you know, that, you know, and so each person's basically have a two plates, but they're snacking and they're sharing. You don't want the last thing out within 15 minutes of the first thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, oh, it's like, they're like, Oh, this is a 45 minute ticket. And you're like, no, that's not a 45 minute ticket. They just got two things. Like, I had so many trials and tribulations uh, just trying to get people to understand that like ticket time is not the best metric, but sometimes that's all, that's all they want to see. It's like ticket times to me, a ticket time is not, you know, the be all end all. It's not the end goal. It's just a piece of information to use with everything else. It's kind of like, you know, how modern statistics are replacing old school stats in baseball, like batting average doesn't matter. Absolutely.
1: Ticket ticket times and food cost percentages and all that. It's like, they're a good tool, but they're not the be all end all. Let's pivot. Cause that's a great topic. Food cost percentages. Like
0: some place will say, I want your food costs to be, I don't know, 28%. There's the target. Mm-hmm. Get it. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's cool overall. But then there are some restaurants that make you cost out every dish and they want every dish to hit that percentage. And that's really mm-hmm. limiting. Like, There's other ways to get to that target food cost percentage. And I remember we went back and forth, uh, one place where you and I worked, we went back and forth about caviar because we weren't able to get that 33% food cost percentage on caviar. uh, You know, that just because you bring a jar in for 90 bucks, you're not going to find a lot of people willing to pay 280 for an ounce of caviar. Uh, You know, you'll you'll get people maybe be able to pay 180, but that's 50% food cost, they say. It's like...
1: Yeah, it's yeah but close. that's a hundred bucks in your pocket. Yeah. It's it, it, like, you got
0: to look, food, food cost is one thing. Just like, just like batting average is one thing, but you got to add batting average together with on base percentage and slugging percentage to get the real Yeah, picture. you
1: don't put the percentage in the bank. That's still a hundred yeah. freaking dollars. So if you, yeah, if you, if you sell, if you sell it for
0: like 180 on 90, yeah, it makes your food cost skewed, but you just made $90 opening a jar and making some toast. For, a for dish, not, yeah, you didn't for, do anything for a dish that, that won't affect the people's level of fullness in the slightest. You just made a hundred bucks yeah. by giving them a plate of things to snack on while they look at the menu.
1: Exactly. And there's still See, that's <laughs> one that's one thing, like why the percentages and stuff are like it's not a be all end all. Like the people who live and die by that number are just freaking dinosaurs.
0: Yeah. You, you, uh, another good example of food cost is the concept of loss leaders. Uh, you know, like yep. if you've got a dish that slaps, you know, you put a high menu price on it so it doesn't move that much. But that's something for the critics to get. You know, it's something for the people who are like, you know, you got to try the lamb rack. It's almost impossible to make money on lamb racks these days. They have gone insane. But if you've got a, if you've got a lamb rack dish that's awesome, and it's let's say forty five percent food cost, you don't need to make the lamb rack. You don't need to cut the portion down or raise the price up until you have a lamb rack that's that's the right percentage again. You just need to have something else on your menu that's twelve percent food cost.
1: You know exactly, soup, like a bowl of salad, soup or a dessert
0: or like there's there's ways to make those numbers back up. So like I like it when restaurants are tough as nails about the numbers because those restaurants tend to stay open. You know, but I think that going dish by dish and making every dish. Uh, agree with that percentage is a mistake in approach. and not everybody does that, but some, people, some places do. It's not about whether one dish is a few percentage points over that We can't do that when it's a little too many percentage points. Like that really really handcuffs the chef. Instead be like, okay, for every one of these that we sell, we got to sell two of these in the menu mix. So it doesn't necessarily you might not be able to do it. Sometimes a product is just too expensive to be used to, to be uh, you know productive on a restaurant menu. But there's ways of looking at the stats where you can at least have a better chance of getting that out there. And the thing is, some some restaurants are dependent on having you know that one dish, that one show dish, that one thing that they're going to talk about in you know the the the, the big review. But as long as you make it kind of expensive, uh, you know, not everyone's going to get it. I mean, if you look at it, if you look at your menu mix and you see what's selling a ton, and the thing that's selling a ton is a, is a loss leader that's when you juke the price, you know, it, it increase the price yep. until you're selling few enough of them that it makes sense. <laughs> like I worked at one place where there Yeah, was-
1: I'm, I'm all about getting granular with this stuff and really drilling down and getting counting grains. But you know, you can't just live and die by one metric. Like, well, the one
0: metric, I think you- so many
1: variables. I think the one, the one metric
0: you can really live and die by is just like, labor cost plus food cost out of total sales. Uh, Cause you know, you'll know what your, you know what your non-controllables are like rent and licensing and stuff like that. So you can live yep. and die on the numbers, but the way we always tabulate that at the best places I've worked at the places that were run the best, we didn't look at individual dish cost outs at all. We just monitored how much money was spent by the kitchen and how much money was taken in for food sales. And it was like, the owner there at the place I'm talking about thought it was a big waste of time to make the chef spend a million hours costing out every single dish. Uh, Like how many times have you and I spent hours and hours and hours costing out a whole menu. You don't need that information. Like if you don't have time to get super granular, because yes, it really is a time commitment. If you don't have time to get granular, just look at overall what you're spending versus what you're making. And as long as you don't have an inventory that fluctuates up and down a lot. And most restaurants don't very few restaurants are buying, high ticket items, you know, you'll buy a lot of sugar. You won't buy a lot of ribeyes, uh, you know, and occasionally, occasionally have right. a place that is, I've never worked in a place that had a big enough freezer to live like that, you know, <laughs> um, but if you just look at money in and money out, then if, if, if that number is not right, then you can start drilling down. You can say, okay, what's killing me. That's when you look at a menu mix. That's when you start, you know, getting a ultra granular with everything. It's a, it, like, it's, it's, it's interesting because like, the, just like with what we're talking about before, ultimately it comes down to the more thought that you're willing to put into something, the better result you're going to get. I've got a good, uh, I've got a good example. Uh, I used to work at a very, very nice hotel in Chicago. I worked at the seafood restaurant and we used the best stuff. Like all of our fish, not all of it, 80% of our fish was either from brown trading or Honolulu, like baller product. Yeah. We would use Gary's, yeah. just ultra perfect fish. Uh, And our food cost was terrible. Our food cost was like 49%. And this place was expensive, expensive. But here's the deal. The food cost for the hotel overall was 26%. You got to think about it like this. Our job wasn't really to make great food costs, to make great profits for the hotel. Our job was to get good reviews from the local paper and get food critics talking about us and providing an amenity for people that really wanted to drop a lot of coin on a really nice dinner. But the thing is, the place would only do 80 people a night maximum. This was a big hotel, like a 20-story hotel. 80 people a night, there's no there that there's no way you'd do that many people compared to banquets where they're sitting down banquets of three and four hundred dollar people and serving them food that is really built to just crush money. You know, like a like in banquets, the people were paying more per person than they were at the fish place that I worked at and getting food that was substantially cheaper. Like there's, there's, there's ways to do it. Yeah.
1: They pay $110 for an urn of coffee. Yeah,
0: (laughs) exactly. Or, uh, you know, banquets are a license to steal. Like if you've got someone in like a wedding scenario, they'll be paying, you know, like it'll be like 110 bucks per person for a salad or soup and then like fish, chicken or steak, And then like a piece of cake and maybe some amuses, some hors d'oeuvres. And it's like, that's just, that's where, that's where the money is. So like, sometimes it's like, you have to look at your whole business and be like, okay, what's, what's, what's our job here? What are we doing? Uh, Is our job to the, the hotel's job in general is to get great reviews and make a ton of money, but you can, depending on your situation, you can have certain outlets that are much more profit driven and certain outlets that are much more review driven.
1: Oh, absolutely. It all depends on, yeah, it all depends on the concept. It's so concept dependent.
0: That's why every place that I've ever worked, I've always, always emphasized hors d'oeuvres for parties because hors d'oeuvres are, yes, they're labor intensive, but people will tolerate spending so much money on them. Aren't you ever amazed at how much you can get for hors d'oeuvres?
1: it's nuts you can get like 4 or 5 dollars a piece yeah or like i mean i was even uh, the places i was
0: working not that nice uh, just like a medium middle of the road places you could still get 350 a, a piece for some
1: and oh this is like, yeah easy
0: it's just mind blowing how much like it's funny because like a lot of our business is just in reading how value conscious di- diners are you know what what are you what are you willing to spend what are you going to think is going to be a lot like an interesting thing that I thought And of like, like the
1: value consciousness goes out the window when, when little sissies getting married.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, sometimes if you look at crazy. like... Crazy. It's freaking crazy. Like a, a little thought experiment I have is, okay, imagine a place that the tasting menu and the tasting menu is 150 bucks. Like six course tasting, menu, 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. What would it look like if you broke that down into individual course costs? If you broke it down to individual course costs, you wouldn't think, okay, well that'll be $22 for the little middle course of risotto. That doesn't seem like that, that seems like a lot of money, but 150 for, well, actually I'm using 10, 20 years ago prices, but like, you know, like say $205, if you broke down what that would be for the seven courses, you'd be like, oh, it's an expensive little plate of nothing. But if you don't think about it like that, if you just think about it as like, you know, 200 bucks for a curated experience, people are a certain type of diner is a lot more willing to buy into that. But then also there's the other, the other thought of company cards, like remember back when farm, farm dinners were a thing,
1: dude, those people spent, they kept restaurants humming.
0: Oh, uh, I've worked at restaurants that ran on. They
1: never even looked at the bill before the government. Yeah. They never even
0: looked at the bill before the government very rightly put a stop to that. Uh, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, um, pharmaceutical companies yeah. would would book dinners, and they would just have like industry professionals, doctors, PAs, uh, who were in a field of a specific uh, a specific kind of medicine. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about right now, but like whether it was a bunch of GI people or a bunch of podiatrists, it doesn't matter. Whatever kind of drug they were trying to sell, and they would ball out. They did not care what the cost was Yeah, the
1: rap would invite him to a dinner yep and, and they just and, say yeah, we're talking whatever at the, you at want you got nicest, 20 people
0: at the nicest places like high-end restaurants
1: because uh, they, they were trying to get the doctors to show up and make it worth their time
0: yeah and then they sit them down and do a little presentation on whatever drug it is yeah. uh and then there then they sign the check it's not their money like that that was a way to really earn back some uh uh, some uh, percentage points but like think about it like this if you have people that are doing group dining you can take that super expensive loss leader dish off your menu when it's group dining you can be like here's our group dining menu and have every single uh one of the dishes that's on that menu be a cash cow like if you want to serve really nice things on your menu there's ways to get it done and the doctors they're not usually yep. like they're the kind sure of people is. That, they're the, the doctors that went to those things we're not really always food people like they were the kind of people that liked nice restaurants but they weren't there for the reasons like you and I would have been there where they really want to try the food they just liked the you know the shishi yeah experience. they spent
1: their whole life in medical school yeah they just they just like the shishi experience and so they won't
0: notice they won't be like oh i would i thought I would have had the lamb chop on this menu they'll go like oh that's not on the menu whatever i'll pick the thing that i'm going to pick and we'll call it a day so yeah a little a little modern thought
1: yeah uh, and they never have to put their hand in their pocket and they leave
0: Exactly. It's like, why would you complain? You just got free dinner, and the rep doesn't care. The rep's like, my job was to, like, I, my job was to get people. Are they, I'm sure they're judged on their conversion rate. You know what I mean? Like, how many people that go to their presentations yep. end up ordering their drugs? I'm sure there's stats for them for that. But that's a different world, and it's not my problem. I did think mm-hmm. that it was kind yeah, of my problem. I, didn't I do
1: miss was, those dinners though.
0: I missed, I missed the revenue from the dinners. I do think it was a completely unethical thing. And I'm glad that somebody started being like, Hey guys, we're really like just throwing money. This is it, like, it starts to look like bribery. So as, as an American, I'm glad those dinners don't really happen anymore. I'm glad there's some oversight, but as a restaurant guy, man, those things were a license to steal.
1: A <laughs> you know, uh, lot of good people working. And
0: you know, another yeah, absolutely. At really nice places. You know, and another thing that I saw about food cost percentage being frustrating at one place that I worked, I won't, I won't get into specifics, but we had, we had a dish that was the most high food cost thing on the menu. And I did a full menu cost out for this place. And uh, like for real, real, like in, in like Cisco's tools, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, every mm-hmm. like a key key to like, it was, it was, uh, it was like a four week long project they kept on having meetings and they kept on saying like, what's up with food cost? It's too high. And like three times in a row, we had this conversation and three times in a row, I was like, this item is our loss leader. It's also our top seller. As long as our loss leader is our top seller, we're going to have this problem.
1: You're going to be in deep doo-doo. Yeah, Yeah, you're going to be in deep doo-doo.
0: And eventually, eventually they switched the purveyor. Uh, But it took a very long time. Uh, and I, so I was, this was just, this is, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to rag on them. I mean, like, you know, that's, that's all, that's all water under the bridge and the place is doing really well now and it's making good money. But, uh, it was a little frustrating just like get, get, to where like, they just wouldn't bend. like, no, we have to serve this product. I was like, well, then we need to charge more for it. And it's like, if, if you have, if you have something that is your best seller, if it's the king of your menu mix and it's killing you, just add a dollar to it every week. You know, like just keep on doing that, just uh, up the price or, or decrease the portion uh, until until it makes sense, because if they're still buying it, they're not gonna, like people won't buy something and they complain about the price so much as they just won't buy it. Right. It's impossible for your loss leader to be the iron horse, like the thing that sells a lot that makes you a good margin your menu has to have those things or you're dead.
1: Yeah. And I, I've always wanted to be the one that to, to justify the price and rather than apologize for the quality.
0: Absolutely. Because like, especially, well, I mean, that gets difficult, but like at the fine dining level, that's doable restaurants. Yeah, are getting, yeah of course. Yeah. Like, and the thing is well, that that takes us into something that we've talked about before, which is just that, you know, uh, at, at our level, at the level that we were working at for a little while, it's just not sustainable. Like, Uh, a a restaurant doesn't need, like a city doesn't need very many restaurants that charge like that.
1: Very Uh, few can hold hold them.
0: Yeah, and uh, Charleston has, as far as I know, I can only really think of one restaurant in town that really charges at that fine dining price point. And that's that's zero, George. Have you been there?
1: I have not been there, no.
0: It's worth checking out. Really interesting, sophisticated food. Um, But it's priced like a big city fine dining restaurant. Your bill will be hundreds it's good uh right, i like right. I, love, I love that kind of stuff but like the thing is charleston already has that one and they were doing well i was i was like a little concerned i was like i don't know how long this is going to be sustainable just because you and i have had such trouble getting charleston diners interested in fine dining it's like you put a bunch of really cool things on the menu and then you put the burger on the menu and the burger's the thing everybody wants uh you know we got i, I think both, right. you, both you and i have been pretty frustrated by that over the years in fact, I think we talked about that on our first episode. You know, the, the evils of putting a burger on a fine yep. dining menu. But, um,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: I, I was sitting there and I was like, I, I said to Dia, I was like, I, this food is great. Uh, I don't know how long this business is going to be sustainable for. And she's like, you don't know what you're talking about. They've been open for years. And I was like, okay, okay. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> you know, a micro hotel too, right? So that's one yeah. of the concepts where the rooms kind of help support the dining room, right? Absolutely. If I'm not mistaken.
0: Oh, hundred percent. That's a great point. If your restaurant is set in a business that has a separate revenue stream, then, then that's a great way to offset, you know, the, use, use the restaurant to draw people into the hotel. Oh, you know where the best example of that is? Vegas. The restaurants of Vegas casinos, I can't imagine they make much money, but they rule. Like I went to Vegas, and it's like every restaurant in Vegas is good. Of course, that's not true. You know, the the, the thing is, I was going to the shishi places. You know, like places at like you know Caesar's Palace and the Win, and like we went to Robichon at the MGM Grand, which actually as expensive as that place was, I'm pretty sure they make pre- plenty of profits on their own. <laughs> but um. Yeah, right. like if you have a hotel or a casino or a golf club or something attached, then that that then you know if you want to be the kind of chef that does food like that, sometimes those are the compromises that you have to make. You know,
1: absolutely. Or like, or like if you're, a you know, hotel- you're going to be the draw, but you're never going to be the cash cow,
0: right? Uh, or or if you're at a hotel restaurant, sometimes you have to do tra- trade offs like breakfast. You know, breakfast is a much more high profit dinner. Now, no chef wants to do breakfast. They're all like, oh, I hate breakfast. But if you can get, if you're in a position where you're, you can be busy for breakfast, you will make a lot of revenue at breakfast that you can then use to offset your dinner revenue. And you can invest in a little bit nicer di- product to use on the dinner menu. There's lots of different ways to get where you're going is the point we're trying to
1: exactly. say. exactly?
0: Um, yes. But, but of course, breakfast is, is miserable. Like, it's funny because over the years, I've become very, very good at making breakfast food. But if you offered me a job as a chef of a breakfast place, I'd be like, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't want to get up at 4.30 in the morning.
0: You can go to hell and you die.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, man.
0: Uh, I feel
1: you, man. It's you're a different breed.
0: Oh, absolutely. And then uh, the fun thing about work at breakfast was like, oh, man, pranks. Like, you remember the time that Tarver decided that I had too much bib lettuce in my cooler? So he like I had like three open <laughs> containers of bib lettuce. So... At the end of the night, he took everything out of my cooler and put it in the walk-in and filled my cooler with, like, two cases of bib lettuce. So I walked in in the morning, <laughs> and I looked at it. I was just like, oh, my God, like, so early and so hungover and so miserable. And it's like, <laughs> the sun's not even up. I'm not going to see another living person for an hour and a half. And I look, and it's just I open it up, and I'm like, oh, God damn it.
1: <laughs> and, yep.
0: and I don't know if you've ever been the victim of a 6 a.m. prank, but nothing is funny. Oh, I by you oh yeah you're right
1: (laughs) that one morning i was training you on breakfast and you scared the ever-living shit out of me
0: it was amazing okay so it was dark because it was january so it was like it it was was so dark it was so dark but as you're walking up to the back of the woodlands that you can see in the kitchen because the kitchen's very brightly lit most kitchens are very brightly lit just because it makes them easier to clean but like uh, the kitchen, this kitchen was very, very, very light, lots of light. So I, I, I could clearly see what was going on in the kitchen, but they couldn't see me at all. And so I saw him walk into the mm-hmm. walk-in, I walk, walk into the walk-in cooler and then the door shut behind him. But I'm like, Nate has no idea I'm here. It's it's at the ass crack of dawn. It's pre dawn. <laughs> I'm gonna scare the hell out of him. So I went. I, there's no walk. In, there's no window in the walk-in door. So I just went and stood right outside the walk-in, and they co- came out. And I was just like, ah! And he had a coronary. It was amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was one of the best. The the well the best I say loosely. But you got me so good that was morning. Raised. He, was, he didn't oh laugh. He didn't
0: laugh. He wasn't pissed. He just had a look on his face of complete terror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. But, Nate, Nate, let's not pretend for a second that you did not perpetuate the scaring people war. Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> so I apologize for nothing, yep. you maniac. You deserve the hell out of that. You shouldn't. No, you got me good. I totally
1: deserved it, too.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that counts yeah, that for a party story. All right. Well, yeah. Like I said, we didn't have much of a plan, but I just, yeah. I, I had, had, like I said, I had an interesting experience at, at a really nice new restaurant. Well, I guess not that new. Jack has was around for a couple of years, but, uh, got me thinking. It got me thinking about the way we do business. And I just thought it'd be cool to like, just have a little restaurant discussion. want to go there. You should, you should uh, go there. If you go there get the Szechuan dumplings for sure. Uh, get the dry pot for sure. And absolutely definitely get the tuna tartare
1: yeah yes to all the things
0: yes uh and then um and they got a nice little beer list too and they got cocktails but i wasn't i wasn't really feeling oh d wanted a bottle d wanted wine so i was like all right i'm feeling (laughs) that so yeah i hope you all have uh, enjoyed and or learned something (laughs) from uh this discussion of uh just restaurant business and restaurant business practices uh and i hope that you know some of you can who are in the business can take our years of experience and find a way to do better than we did uh (laughs) you know like it's it's just, uh, you know, lived experiences. There's no substitute for lived experience. Please. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, just get out there and make some money. And uh, for we those got all you, the scars. And then for those of you who aren't in the business, you know, just, these are, these are interesting things to think about. Like, don't be afraid to let your server know what kind of experience you want to have. Sometimes they have no idea. And like I said, when I, when I was, you know, I felt kind of rushed the other Talk day. Talk it out. I communicate,
1: was just, communicate, I, communicate.
0: I was, <laughs> I was just as, I was just as much at fault because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't you know, communicate my expectations. So it's, it's all about, and some people go to a restaurant, just ready to be mean, ready to have a bad night. Some people go and they're just ready to have a great night. And if you're ready to have a great night and you let the server know that you're ready to have a great night, that, that, you know, then you open those lines of communication and it's just a, it's just a, it's just a better way to live. And then for anyone who's completely bored by the hour long discussion of restaurant business, uh, you know, and learned experience. I uh, hope that we leavened it up at the end with the story of me scaring uh, the pecker off Nate.
1: <laughs> I'm still looking for it.
0: Yeah, it scares Pecker right off. It's been gone for 15 years. Uh, I'm sorry, little guy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. I miss oh. you. <laughs> he, uh, said,
0: he said, Yeah, but you always used to beat me up so much. Uh,
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> look, look at your wife's purse. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good spot. That's probably right where it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right guys, well for hot dogs and
0: caviar, this is the All extremely right. mature uh jet mouth of the south, uh Jesse Sutton signing off. Uh with me as always is my uh lovely and talented co star, uh Nate Spincake Whiting.
1: <laughs> well thank you.
0: <laughs> so guys, uh yeah, have a have a great night. Uh everyone, thanks for listening. And next week we're gonna be back with Arbor King unless something goes wrong.
1: Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Come on, come on, little baby, my little darling, my little sister. Come on, baby, just keep your head up.